0: This is The Guardian. Today, across the UK, tens of thousands of people are making space in their homes for those fleeing Ukraine. Can the British government match their generosity? For three weeks, as the war in Ukraine has gone on, people in Britain have become more impassioned, angrier with the government, demanding to know what it's doing to help, to grant visas for people fleeing, to give them shelter. And finally, a few days ago, the cabinet minister, Michael Gove, came to parliament with an answer.
1: Um, Mr Speaker, with your permission, I would like to make a statement on our government's response to help those fleeing the conflict in Ukraine.
0: And he threw the challenge of responding to Europe's biggest refugee crisis in a generation back to the British people.
1: The scheme will allow Ukrainians with no family ties to the UK to be sponsored by individuals or organisations who can offer them a home. There will be no limit to the number of Ukrainians who can benefit from this scheme.
0: The response was immediate. Natalie is turning her living room into a home
2: for Ukrainian refugees.
3: I'd like to be able to look after them. I think they've been through absolute
2: hell.
1: If we were in in their shoes, we'd want someone to offer to um, give them somewhere to keep, be safe and have a roof over their heads.
0: So many thousands of people signed up that the government website crashed. But while more and more people offer up their spare rooms, The UK government, unlike others in Europe, keeps insisting that Ukrainians meet its visa requirements and fill in its online forms, leaving those people in limbo between a life of crisis in Ukraine and some form of safety in the UK.
4: You know, Ukrainians have been traveling to the European Union, visa-free, for five years now. And so far there has not been uh, a migration crisis or a rise in crime. I'm not sure what um, our government is worried about, about letting these people in.
0: One of this government's central ideas is to be tough on immigration and asylum. And next week, it'll bring back to Parliament its controversial Nationality and Borders Bill. But for now, it's having to show that Britain is open to the people who need our help.
1: But I'm just had it up to here with people trying to suggest that this country is not generous.
0: From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus. Has the crisis in Ukraine changed the way Britain treats refugees? Amelia, Gentleman, you're a reporter for The Guardian. And for years, you've been speaking to people who are seeking refuge in the UK and investigating how our government treats them. You've just come back from Calais in northern France, which is a crossing point of course, for so many people hoping to get a visa to come to this country. Why did you decide to go there in the past week?
2: I've, I've been to Calais um, on numerous occasions previously to write about the humanitarian crisis there where people from Afghanistan, Sudan, Iraq, Syria, Eritrea have been living in, in really difficult circumstances trying to come to the U.K., and I think i was I was curious to know whether Ukrainian refugees were also having to set up tents in the same conditions or whether their treatment um in Calais would be different and how was it? well, it wouldn't be true to say that the Ukrainian refugees are having a brilliant time, but it's absolutely the case that the experiences that they're having in Calais are completely different from the experiences of the 2,000-odd refugees, asylum seekers from other countries who are living in camps around Calais. So people from Ukraine, most of them have been given some kind of lodging by the um, French authorities, and they're they're being fed and and given somewhere to stay. And
0: they're all there because they're obviously hoping to get the necessary Passes to come to the UK. What is the Home Office presence like there? Well,
2: normally there's no visible Home Office presence in Calais. But last week, after reports that large numbers of people were being turned away from the UK checkpoint in the port, a group, I think, initially of three Home Office officials were sent from the UK.
1: Was this the promised Home Office help? They didn't want us to film what's going on, but this, it appears, is the British surge. Three officials, a box of ready-salted crisps and some Kit Kats.
2: But the the difficulty is that the government has made a very determined decision not to open a visa application centre in Calais. So for the moment, all those officials are able to do is to help people to make an online application and then divert them back to either Paris or to Brussels. But obviously, those are quite considerable journey for people who've already taken several days to travel across Europe. Can you tell me
0: about some of the people you spoke to in Calais?
2: I spoke to a man called Christoph, who is a Polish builder who has um, indefinite leave to remain in the UK. So he has the right to, to bring his Ukrainian relatives to their home in, in the UK.
1: We have uh, fully full rights to stay in the UK. I'm from Poland, she's from the Ukraine. Sturacity. Yes.
2: <laughs> You've been in the UK for how long? I think you have to remember that there is no easy route to do this. It's an incredibly long journey. Christoph, the builder said he'd been fueled by um, cans of Red Bull and he was visibly exhausted. and absolutely furious at um, finding himself turned away in the middle of the night when he arrived at the at the ferry checkpoint
1: so you drove to the romanian border from the uk yes two thousand miles and then two thousand miles back and then the uh, uh, uk border force just uh, treat us like the water in the toilet you know Uh, we sit in the bench for like uh, Around four hours. Yesterday. Yesterday, night, at 1am, uh, they just give us like the piece of the paper where we have to call and they don't know anything more, you know. It's like, for me, it's crazy. And
2: in the end, they were sent away with just a phone number to call. Um, so he was very upset. He said that if he'd known how difficult it was going to be to bring his family um, to the UK, he would have settled them somewhere in Poland.
1: I'm from Poland, and easy for me. If I know this situation, I just drove with them to the Poland and leave them in Poland, and they will be treated like, like the princess, not like the water in the toilet.
2: I spoke to a young woman, and in Romania, they bought tickets on a coach that they expected would take them all the way to London. She said that they were told when they bought the tickets that there would be uh, no problem, that they didn't need um, any visas and that they would be let through.
4: We uh, were in the line and when it came to us, uh, they told us, I'm so sorry, we can't do anything. You still need a visa to go to UK. Well, I understand it. They need to check our identities, if if there will be nothing wrong in our history. But for now, we just got no information about how to do it, the application, um, and other stuff. Then we stayed here.
2: I spoke to um, Tatiana at the youth hostel, where she expressed, again, really intense frustration because um, her family had had to work out how to get to Paris to process visas there, to get fingerprinted, to have their pictures taken. And she was relatively well able to to navigate the system because she's got such perfect English. But she said for the other people trying to apply, it's been a complete nightmare.
0: And people are making these mammoth journeys. It's about 2000 miles from Lviv on the western edge of Ukraine to Calais. In the countries that neighbour Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, for example, they've been taking a lot of people. Why is it that some people come further and are aiming for the uk
2: the people who i met in calais who are coming to the uk are people who have close family members here Um, but i think it's important to say that it's really a kind of tiny number compared to the actual huge migration that we've seen from ukraine over the past few weeks so i think that the un is saying now that almost 3 million refugees have fled ukraine now Around 1.8 million of them have gone to Poland, 263,000 of them have gone to Hungary, and Slovakia has accepted 213,000. And in Britain, I think we've granted so far about 4,000 visas. So it's a tiny, tiny number. And it, it just seems an incredible amount of bureaucracy facing what is a relatively small number of people who actually want to come to the UK in the bigger European picture.
4: My name is Natalia Bilecka and uh, I have been in the UK for
0: 22 years. So you're in Scotland now. But, I am. But you're originally from Ukraine. Whereabouts? Uh, uh
4: I was born in Kharkiv. That is in the northeast of Ukraine about um, 30 miles away from the Russian border. Okay.
0: And that's one of the areas that during this war has been under particularly devastating attack. I'm sure people will have seen pictures on the news, um, videos of entire streets bombed out by the Russian forces. Can you give me a sense of what Kharkiv is like as a place? What was it like growing up there? Um, It was uh, a city about the size and
4: area and population like Glasgow. And um, it had lots of universities. And when I say lots, meaning about 20... So lots of young people, you know, just a a big European city bustling with life. Yeah, and now it is just all lying in ruins. And you have family still living there? Well, uh, my father has decided to stay there because he just can't leave the flat while the house is still standing. I was not able to persuade him to leave. But uh, my mom, after a week of shelling, she just couldn't take it any longer. So she said, I need to go. And my dad said, if you need to go, you need to go. So and he'll keep the fort until
0: such time that she can return. So your dad has stayed in their family home? Yes. Yes. And how is he feeling?
4: Very, very angry. <laughs> and But at the same time, very helpless because there isn't, he he feels that there is nothing he can do to stop this. Gosh. So what's the route that she's taken? She had to wait about 10 hours for an evacuation train. The train was absolutely packed with people and nobody was allowed to take any luggage at all because luggage meant one less person could get on board, so she escaped with just um, her handbag <laughs> and um, and the train was going across well, over a war zone. Then after 20 hours of well standing journey, she arrived in Lviv and um, she managed to make it to a hostel three minutes before the curfew. <laughs> so that was uh, possibly the worst part of her journey. And then she had to wait another about 12 hours to cross on foot from Ukraine into Poland. And where's your mum now? What situation is she in? Once she got to Krakow, I just booked her a hotel and told her, try to rest and treat it as an unexpected holiday while we are waiting for resolving her
0: visa issue. What have been the issues with the visa to get to the UK so far? The issue is that even though my mum has all the
4: necessary paperwork and um, I was able to fill out uh, the form online on her behalf but there are simply not enough people on the ground and so the earliest appointment that she was offered was for 22nd of March. Wow. I have no idea what is happening elsewhere, but I understand like the earliest appointments now you can get is end of April, possibly May. so so this is really the issue.
0: Amelia, how prepared was the UK government for this refugee crisis?
2: I think it's fair to say that it was completely unprepared. And in a way, I mean, that's no surprise because I think the entire international community was taken aback by the speed with which uh, Putin progressed with this uh, invasion. The more concerning aspect of our response is how slow we've been to set up our processes and how determined we've been to hang on to a visa system when every other country in Europe has waived visas for people coming from Ukraine.
1: In an unusual show of unity on migration, every member state signed off Thursday on an agreement that would see displaced people coming from Ukraine given blanket protection for up to three years.
2: I think it's also worth remembering that the Home Office is still really struggling to deal with the last refugee crisis that it's handled with the airlifting of more than uh, 15,000 people from Afghanistan last August. And I think that the Home Office has been heavily criticised about that refugee programme. So I, I think all of that must have created an atmosphere within the Home Office of complete unpreparedness to deal with a a new crisis and a complete absence of bandwidth to deal with the enormous um, new requirements of, of helping an entirely new wave of refugees. People
0: in this country have become increasingly upset at what they've seen Putin's army doing in Ukraine and have been trying to find ways to help. You see this outpouring of heartbreak on social media. People have been protesting in real life and they've continued to put pressure on the government to change its stance on visas.
2: When did the government's position start to change? Kevin Fuster, the immigration minister provoked um, some considerable outrage by posting a message on Twitter saying that there were a number of routes that Ukrainians could use to come to the UK, not least our seasonal worker scheme for Ukrainians who wanted to come here and work as uh, seasonal workers. And, And his inference there was that people could come to the UK and work as fruit pickers. The Home Secretary said that the routes have been in place, but she's been trying to get people to use existing
4: visas that don't work in a time of crisis. That's why her immigration minister was suggesting people come and pick
2: fruit. And that that comment, which was made within the first few days of the war, was greeted with total outrage uh, pretty much universally. And he had to delete the tweet pretty quickly. But since then, the official um, position is that we will be generous and that there will be these uncapped schemes.
0: Why aren't we taking refugees like some other countries?
1: Of course we're going to take uh, refugees. This country's had a, uh, a historic and proud role in, uh, in taking refugees from uh, all conflicts. And, if
0: you think... and the point has been made that Ireland, our closest neighbour, has been much more generous in its approach. It welcomed around three times the number of Ukrainian people in the first few weeks of this conflict than the UK did. What's the Irish government's policy been?
2: I think there has been a very stark um, contrast between the way that we are handling this situation and the way that Ireland has just decided to allow, in line with the rest of Europe, visa-free travel for people fleeing um, Ukraine.
3: You, in Ireland, have welcomed already something like 2,500 Ukrainians so far. Have you conducted security checks on them?
4: We've had about 5,500 into Ireland. But no, our our primary impulse is to assist those fleeing war. And Um,
2: certainly uh, the the scenes that we've seen of, of welcome in Dublin feel very, very starkly different to the um, scenes of complete chaos that I saw in Calais last week.
0: Why do you think it has been taking the government so long to put everything that's necessary into place? I mean, did they just fail to understand how much people in this country
2: have that support for taking in people fleeing Ukraine? You know, you have to remember the political context to this. The government is a government that has come to power on the back of Brexit, which was a phenomenon largely rooted in a a national desire to keep control of Britain's borders. And so there is a real nervousness within the government of doing anything that will be seen to be ripping up um, immigration controls. In in terms of misjudging the popular support for that measure, I'm not sure. I mean, there are some um, conservative MPs who've been critical of the government.
1: Get them processed and get them in. This is a
0: disgrace. When the minister leaves this dispatch box, they ask him to go back to the Home Office and tell them to get a grip. Yeah.
2: There are others who have said, you know, it's important that we don't waive visa requirements. Can't they just come in?
1: Look, if we just opened the door, not only will we not benefit the people that we need to, the genuine refugees, but I think we'd undermine the the popular support for this. I don't think that's the right thing to do.
2: So they are, I imagine, politically treading quite a delicate path.
0: Talia, one massive advantage that your mum has perhaps over other people who are trying to make similar journeys is that she has you, you're based in the UK, you speak perfect English. In what ways have you been able to help her with the application process and maybe you know drawing attention to what's happening to her?
4: Well, basically I was 100% her information support I could uh, get her accommodation, I could, uh, well, give her at least advice about transport. And uh, as for the visa form, so I was able to process uh, all the images of documents, they needed to be converted into PDF format, which is, you know, for me, it is straightforward, but it's okay when you are sitting. You know, in uh, in your office, and just clicking away for people uh, who uh, might have escaped with just their phone, this
0: is just not an option. Can you talk me through, uh, kind of step by step, what the application has asked of your mum?
4: Well, uh, some of the questions were just standard personal details. Then the checklist asked to provide. Uh, certain documents, such as, for instance, bank statements and, uh, well, my mom's bank was destroyed by a missile in Kharkiv, so I don't think they'll be issuing um, bank statements to their customers for a while. What I found really upsetting while filling that application form was uh, the questions about um, whether you were involved in the war crimes and uh, the thing is, you cannot just tick a box. So you need to open the guidance what constitutes war crimes and you need to read through it. And, um, you know, I'm not a person who is, you know, crying easily. But I, at that point, I just had to, you know, leave that application, you know, close the laptop, and, you know, just wait until i i could calm down and stop crying that was just unbearable and I, I i don't know who designed this questionnaire but i think it was just particularly tone deaf and uh, and upsetting that is why I'm I'm going uh, to Poland to join her in a couple of days. You know, she, she still is very upset and she needs me by her side, so I'll see if I can uh, fill out the form and I do hope that we'll be able to travel back together.
0: In the last few days, government ministers have promised to improve things, though, by opening new visa processing centres and by having them open for longer. How much of a difference are those measures going to make, do you think?
2: I think the, the biggest difference will be the decision not to require people to be fingerprinted and have their pictures taken before they come to the UK. They will still have to go through that biometric process, but they could do that after they've they've arrived here so i think that will make a huge difference so i suppose the question is why that requirement wasn't waived immediately i think the the government says it's increasing the number of people working on it it's it's surged the number of staff in the offices around europe so we'll we'll have to see but the The figures are very unforgiving. I mean, when when we hear the kind of slow increase of the numbers of visas that have been granted, and when we compare that with the rapidly increasing numbers of people fleeing Ukraine, numbers that are going up by the million.
0: The government's launched a scheme this week that will allow anyone who wants to offer a room in their home to someone from Ukraine seeking refuge to do so. How many people have applied for that so far?
2: The response has been enormous. Um, Within an hour of the scheme being launched, over a thousand people had signed up on the website. And by Wednesday, over 120,000 people had signed up to offer in principle to host a Ukrainian refugee.
0: Wow, that's really encouraging, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has been taken aback by how many people have committed themselves to make their homes available. The website has been crashing uh, several times under the weight of numbers coming forward to to offer their homes.
0: And a few politicians have said that they're going to open their homes as part of this as well, haven't they?
2: Yeah, I think um, seven MPs have made a commitment. Um, I think pretty much every time an MP goes on a radio show now, they're asked um, whether or not they're going to volunteer
0: And I just felt so strongly about it. I said, uh, we will make sure there's accommodation. In
3: In your home?
0: Including if that means coming
2: to stay with me. I'm I'm opening my home. I just feel, I feel so strongly about it because we've seen these enormous acts of bravery. And
0: how's the scheme going to work?
2: So people in the UK who want to sign up for the scheme go onto the Homes for Ukraine website and input their details. People will be expected to sign up to host a family or an individual for a minimum of six months and they'll receive a payment of £350 a month. um, Security checks of of some sort, and and they're said to be um, going to be quite light touch, will be done on the host family. Then there will be a a kind of a mammoth matching process launched and we'll just have to wait um, to see, I suppose, next week how efficiently and how swiftly that can actually work.
0: And, you know, some of those people coming over will need hospital treatment or there'll be children who will need to be placed in schools and things like that. Is there going to be extra funding given to councils to help cover the costs?
2: Yeah. So there's a separate funding stream for local authorities to help fund the extra pressure on schools and on local GP healthcare services. It's important to note that the people who arrive under the scheme will be allowed to work in the UK for up to three years and they'll have full access to benefits, healthcare, employment, and other state support.
0: Coming up, has Britain's attitude towards refugees been changed by the crisis in Ukraine?
1: Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US
4: politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly
1: America into Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts will be there every Friday.
0: Amelia, it's sad to say that you've reported on several refugee crises over just the past few years of people from across the Middle East and Africa who've been escaping wars in their own countries and trying to find safety here. And often those people have been met with hostility from the government and sometimes from the public as well. Why do you think the response to this crisis has been different?
2: I spoke to Claire Mosley, who is the co-founder of a charity called Care for Calais that's been helping to support um, people who are stuck at Calais, people who are hoping to travel onto the UK. And she said she was really uh, speechless at the, the different welcome that people from Ukraine were being given.
3: I'm so stunned by it, um, that the horrible stories that I've been hearing from people from Ukraine in the last few days, I mean, they, they really are traumatic and heartrending experiences. But they're actually not different to the stories that I've heard in Calais over the last few years from all these different countries. Um, but somehow, the way the public are reacting is different and to be honest it terrifies me because we got used to believing it was because people didn't understand we got used to believing it was because they didn't have the right information but now seeing this really different reaction it gives rise to a different possibility which is maybe they only understand when the people it's happening to look like them or are more similar to them and that I would find to be very sad but unfortunately that seems to be the only explanation.
0: The problems with deciding who should be granted a visa, the proof they need to show to get that visa and the many, many problems with there not being enough staff, government websites crashing, is that down to incompetence on the government's behalf?
2: What we've known um, for... Years is that the Home Office has built up a system which makes it extremely difficult for people to apply to settle in the UK. And we've heard stories over and over again of people who absolutely have the right to come to the UK who've been defeated by the difficulties that they've had in applying for incredibly bureaucratic visa processes. And it's interesting to hear even from Ukraine's UK ambassador um, has talked about the difficulties that he's experienced.
1: You know to, to, you know, to process visas, it was always bureaucratic hassles. I have to tell you that even when I was coming here as ambassador, I got my visa on time. Although I was already like approved by your government half a year, my wife didn't have it. So even simple things like that and bureaucracy is so tough.
2: So it's almost as if the um, whole department has been created for years to make Britain a, a place that is difficult to access.
0: Natalia, how are you?
4: Well, um, you know, we are in Krakow with my mom. She is sitting right next to me right now. And um, there has been some progress with home office, I'm pleased to say. So the new application process has started. Uh, So my mom no longer needs to attend a visa application center in Poland so she can submit her biometrics in the UK. And...
0: Your dad, is he still in Kharkiv? Yes, he is. What do you hope for over the next few days, next few weeks, in terms of finding safety for all of you?
4: Well, I don't think I can find safety for my father, unless you know he changes his mind, but he is very stubborn. Uh, for my mother... I am just hoping that I will get visa letter for her soon and uh, I'll take her to the UK. Um my mom wants to sell something. Mama says, I can say something. Мама каже: Я можу сказати, що я тільки закінчиться війна, а я вірю, що наші військові отримають перемогу. Я зразу повернусь в моє рідне місто Харків. Найкраще місто в Україні. My mom says that she believes that once the war is over, and she believes that Ukrainian army will be victorious, she just wants to go back to her home city and Kharkiv, which is the best city in Ukraine.
0: Amelia, looking back at the last three weeks and the response from MPs and from the public to this crisis, do you think something fundamental has changed in the attitude that the government is taking towards people seeking refuge here, that it's going to take? I mean, do you expect to see the UK welcoming people now with more open arms?
2: No, I don't. I don't see any shift in general government policy. I think that the government is under intense pressure about its response to Ukraine, just as it's been under intense pressure over its response to the crisis in Afghanistan. But that pressure comes because it's so important for ministers to continue to show that they have got control over Britain's borders. And given that that is such a kind of a core principle, I can't see a more generous across the board refugee policy emerging. It's also important to to remember that at exactly the time that they're dealing with this um, crisis, They're also legislating a new policy under the Nationality and Border Bill, which has the potential to criminalise people who come to the UK in small boats. And so the entire kind of government rhetoric around asylum and refugee policy remains at, at heart very ungenerous. Amelia, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Natalia Beletska and to Amelia Gentleman. You can read her work at theguardian.com. And we want to hear from you, please. What other podcasts are you listening to? What do you like about The Guardian's podcasts at the moment? And what could we be doing better? Personally, I'm always up for a survey, and I hope you will be too. Go to www.guardiansurveys.com forward slash podcast and fill in the survey there it will really help us shape what we make next this episode was produced by tom glasser with additional research by rose de la rabiti sound design was by rudy zagadlo our executive producers are phil maynard and Mythali rao we'll be back tomorrow